0: The text for the sermon this morning is taken from Luke chapter 12, the verses 49 to 53. And there we read I came to send fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. For from now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against daughter, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. After the sermon let us sing together hymn of 44. beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. When John the Baptist, in his ministry, was asked whether he was the Christ, then he emphatically answered that he was not. He was talking, also in response, he said that someone mightier than him was coming, he said, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal. And then also, as he continued to explain why he was not the Christ, he contrasted what he was doing. He was baptizing with water. And he said, well, when the Christ comes, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This mention of the baptism with the Holy Spirit and with fire brings out two dimensions of our Lord's work. Mention of the Spirit really points to his work of regeneration in the hearts of sinner sinners. But then also when he speaks there about the fire, that points to his work of judgment. We can also put it in this way that when the Christ comes, he brings salvation but He also brings the flip side, and that is condemnation. Because the gospel message is not just that Jesus saves, and that He saves every last being in the whole world. No, Jesus saves repentant sinners, but He condemns the unbelieving and unrepentant. Now, it is especially this aspect of judgment and this message of judgment that comes out in the portion of Luke's gospel that is our text for the sermon this morning you noticed in the passages leading up to our text we had really two parables where the lord jesus called his listeners to be ready and to live in humble obedience in anticipation of the coming of the son of man and as the time of his coming is simply not known it is necessary to live in a constant state of alertness But now, lest there be be any uncertainty as to who this Son of Man is who is going to judge the world, it is in our text we see how our Lord Jesus spells out that He is that judge. For He says, I came to cast fire on the earth. Now, in this passage, the aspect of uh, salvation of repentant sinners is most certainly present but really the aspect of judgment stands out. And in the process, our Lord Jesus speaks about His personal experience of judgment, His own role in preparing for the judgment, and also, interestingly, in how we, as His followers, will experience this judgment. And therefore, I proclaim to you this morning, our Lord's words, that He came to cast fire on the earth, brings out the whole gospel, And we see this as we consider, first of all, his personal experience of judgment. Secondly, his role in preparing for the judgment. And finally, our personal experience of this judgment. So our Lord's words that he came to cast fire on the earth brings out the whole gospel. And first of all, we see his personal experience of judgment. Now, when we hear our Lord talking about casting fire on the earth, it might even give the impression that this morning we have the ingredients for what could be called a fire and brimstone sermon. And at first glance, it might even appear that our Lord Jesus Christ was relishing in the thought of casting this fire on the earth, as He said, and I would that it were already kindled. But that he was not really standing there, kind of rubbing his hands with glee, thinking, "Now I'm going to do this, I'm going to destroy all kind of people. That comes out in verse 50, where he said, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Now, we have to pay attention to this baptism that Jesus was going to be baptized with. You know, the word baptism always tends to make us think of the water baptism that we witness on a regular basis when children are brought for baptism or when an adult comes to faith. But That's not the kind of meaning it has here. No, the word is used here to describe something dreadful that is going to come over him. Because here the Lord Jesus was referring to the suffering he had to endure. And you see this kind of meaning for baptism Baptism has to endure when you compare it to a similar use of the term, for example, in Mark 10, verse 35 to 39. In that particular passage, we have the account of how James and John were requesting that they might sit at the right and left hand of the Lord Jesus when He came in His kingdom. They they were thinking it is going to come any time now, and they thought of a very earthly kingdom. And then the Lord responded, that they did not know what they were asking. They did not understand yet, really, what the kingdom of God was all about. And then we read Mark 10, verse 38. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? It's interesting. And the Lord indicated that they would indeed drink the cup and experience such a baptism because, as the Lord Jesus Christ would have to drink the cup of suffering. And as he would experience suffering, we know that the believers will also experience suffering in one way or another. But it becomes clear then that when the Lord Jesus Christ was speaking here about the baptism with which he was to be baptized, he was referring to his upcoming suffering on the cross. Now, as we actually read through the Gospels, we find it in all the Gospels, you notice how, how the Lord was very aware of his upcoming suffering. I didn't kind of catch him by surprise when he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew all along that this was waiting for him. Even if you think just of the Gospel of Luke, back in chapter 9, just before the account of the transfiguration, where actually Moses and Elijah appear to speak with the Lord Jesus about his upcoming death in Jerusalem, we read, how the Lord Jesus Christ had specifically informed his disciples that he was going to be put to death at the hands of the leaders in Jerusalem. And towards the end of chapter 9, we read of how when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So the Lord Jesus was very self-conscious. He told his disciples. He was encouraged also by Moses and Elijah. And then he resolutely made his final trip to Jerusalem to face his end. And now this awareness of his coming, of his coming death, and the reason for it explain why we read how he was in such great distress, such great pressure until it would be accomplished. But we can say that our Lord, he was very focused in his task, very aware that he had to give his life As a ransom for many. We should never think when we read the Gospels, oh, what an easy life the Lord Jesus Christ had. No, that awareness. It's like when when we have some great event coming before us that is uh, anticipating, maybe we have to undergo a major surgery. It is six months down the road. That's the first time they can schedule us. You know how when people have to face something like that, that can weigh them down tremendously. But now think of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was not facing major surgery, he was facing the cross. And this pressed heavy upon him, a very heavy heart that he had as he walked throughout his life. Because even if we think back to when he was 12 years old, he seemed to know this already, when he was in the temple, the house of his father. So it's hard for us to comprehend in the end how our Lord carried this burden in his heart. You know, I mentioned just a serious situation where we have major surgery, how much that can weigh upon us, but this is far greater because the Lord Jesus Christ knew He had to face the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race, you we know, of course get another sense of that awareness of His of what was facing Him at uh, in the crucifixion in the Garden of Gethsemane, when He even asked the Father, if possible, let this cup of suffering pass me by, not to face this baptism that He had to be baptized with, this baptism of the cross of the suffering. And so when we are aware of the baptism our Lord was speaking about, namely the intense suffering that would culminate in his death, we get the context for his words indicating that he wished that the fire was already kindled. Because that would indicate that this terrifying suffering was already behind him. For he may have come to cast fire on the earth... But he was not able to cast that fire until he himself had gone through the fire of God's judgments for the sin of his people. Notice, to be the judge of all the earth, our Lord Jesus Christ, first of all, himself had to be judged. Now, it's good to stress that only once the Lord Jesus Christ faced the judgment of God for the sins of his people, then he would receive the authority to cast fire on the earth. That is, to judge the earth. Important aspect to see. The Lord Jesus is the Savior, but he is also the judge. At the end of the Gospel of Matthew, for example, we read how when the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to his disciples for the last time before his ascension, he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Authority to save, authority to to judge those who will not believe. And it becomes a key component of the gospel message. When you preach the gospel, don't just say, Jesus saves, you also have to say, Jesus condemns those who refuse to believe in him. Think of the book of Acts. You have examples both from the preaching of Peter and Paul that they bring out, yes, Jesus is the Savior, but he is also the judge of all the earth. An example from the time of Peter Acts chapter 10, where we have the account of Peter going to Cornelius, the Roman centurion. And then, as he speaks to Cornelius, he said that he was called by God to preach and testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. It's interesting. He didn't just say to Cornelius, yes, I'm going to speak to you about the Savior. No, he brings out the Savior in all his aspects, the Savior of, from sin, but also the judge of those who refuse to believe. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, when he was preaching in Athens, he, he stated that God now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. You might think, well, Paul, when you're speaking there to the Gentiles and you try to win these heathens, just tone it down a little bit. Just speak about the nice things. Oh, no. Paul gives the whole gospel. Yes, there are nice things. Salvation for those who believe. But the same Jesus who saves from sins is also the one who will judge those who refuse to believe in him. That's the full gospel. Now, it's important to see how our Lord, after Himself facing judgment, has received the authority and the task to cast fire on the earth, because this, this ties together critical components of the Old and New Testament. You know how in the Old Testament you read a great deal about the Lord God being the judge. You know, we sang the Psalms that, we, that were chosen specifically to bring that out, Psalm 97, Psalm 11, Psalm 18, Psalms that speak about God who can cast fire, who can judge the enemies of his people. Judgment often described in terms of sending fire. Now, you know how people like to say, ah, but the Old Testament God, he was kind of fiery. He was the judge. And oh, people say, we're so glad we have Jesus. Jesus is not like that at all. But they're not reading the Gospels properly because the Lord Jesus Christ Himself said that He came to indeed bring the Spirit, but also to cast fire upon the earth. There is no contrast. The only difference is that in the New Testament we realize that this God who reveals Himself as the righteous judge of all the earth now says, I do all this through My Son. Don't make any contrast. No, I do it through My Son. Jesus Christ is now the way that God judges all the earth. And he sent him to cast fire, the fire of judgment. He also gave our Lord Jesus Christ a key role in preparing for this judgment. That's our second point. And for our second point, we turn our attention to the words where the Lord said, Do you think I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. These words, when we first hear them, may sound kind of to be in conflict with other things we are told in the gospel. You know, we might think of, of the way that the angels appeared to the uh, shepherds in the fields near Bethlehem. Didn't they speak about peace on earth? And is Jesus not the Prince of Peace? Don't we also repeatedly read that after the Lord Jesus Christ interacted with people, forgiving their sins, healing their diseases, he would say, Depart in peace? Isn't he the man of peace? But some more thoughts will help us to see how it all fits together. Because if we think back to the words of the angels when they spoke to the shepherds in the fields near Bethlehem, they said, There was peace on earth among those with whom God was well pleased. Ah, there is a distinction. God is not pleased with everyone. And the Lord Jesus is the one who, who, so to speak, flushes out those with whom God is pleased and those with whom he is not. And those with whom God is pleased, they will indeed escape the judgment because Jesus has faced that judgment for them. But those with whom God is not pleased, they will experience the fire of judgment that he will cast upon the earth. For in this way, the Lord Jesus brings the vision through his very person. And we see this really already throughout his ministry. Many persons, many people listen to him with great joy. But you notice when you read the Gospels, it is almost as soon as the Lord Jesus Christ begins his public ministry. Yes, the crowds are drawn to him, but right away you get the Pharisees and the scribes reacting rather negatively. They see this as a threat almost from the beginning. They are hostile to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so throughout the ministry, the years of ministry while he was on earth, it became clear there were people who were either for him or they were against him. And this had been prophesied about him even by by Simeon. You remember that account in the Gospel of Luke where Simeon came and they brought Jesus to, to the temple? The days of purification were completed. And there he saw Joseph and Mary with the baby Jesus. And then Simeon said, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. The fall and rising of many. Because people will respond in one of two ways to the Lord Jesus Christ. Either they accept him or they reject him. And, of course, as you think of it, we mentioned already during the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, it became clear, but it became all the clearer as the Lord Jesus Christ died, rose again, went into heaven, Pentecost, and the gospel began to be preached among the people of Israel. The book of Acts relates to us how many people believed in the gospel of the risen Christ. Many said, what have we done? All of a sudden, they realized they had crucified the Lord of glory. On the day of Pentecost, we read 3,000 people believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were baptized. But not everyone believed in Israel. No. The evidence is there, and the widespread hostility. The leaders, they intensified. Well, they had gotten rid of Jesus. Now they tried to silence the apostles. Don't preach about him. Apostles wouldn't listen to that. But then, you know, persecution broke out. Led to the death of Stephen, and then the church was scattered. You see, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is a divisive person. He was divisive among the Israelites. Paul also later on wrote to the Corinthians the message of the crucified Jesus was a stumbling block for many Jews. But not only was he divisive among the Jews, also among the Gentiles, also there. He proved to be divisive because for many Gentiles, many non-Jews, he was simply folly, silly talk about someone dying on the cross for your sins. And you know how it has continued in history, that there continues to be hostility against the gospel, hostility against Christians because they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we speak of the Lord Jesus then, we see how, on the one hand, yes, he he does unite. He does bring peace. He reconciles sinners to God. And he also brings together people that normally would never be together. People from all different tongues and tribes and nations. And he says, well, your race doesn't mean anything when it comes to grace. No, you bring together those who are united by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But on the other hand... Christ also becomes the great divide in the human race. Because in the end, you could say that the world has two kinds of people. Those who are for Christ or those who are against Him. Now, mind you, this isn't really any different than it has been all throughout history. We can go right back to paradise. When the Lord said that He would place enmity between the woman and her offspring and the serpent and his offspring... The human race at bottom has always consisted of two kinds of people, those who love the Lord and those who do not. not. The new dimension with respect to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ is that now this division is brought down to how do you stand in relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ? Those who believe in Him, they are the recipients of grace, of peace, forgiveness. But those who reject Him, will experience the fire of judgment. Now, this division needs more attention. And that's our third point, summed up as our personal experience of this judgment. Now, it was pointed out before how the Lord Jesus Christ, before he could cast the fire on the earth, he had to face God's wrath himself. So he had to go through a personal experience of pain on the road to his task as judge. And when we look at the elaboration on the division brought by Christ, well, while, while in a way, we may anticipate him coming to judge the living and the dead with a degree of joy, because that will be the day of the vindication from our enemies. That will be the day of liberation from all sin and misery, At the same time, there is also a degree of pain. And this is so because the division will be experienced close to home. Yes, it can run right through our own home. And this comes out when we read how in one house there will be five members of the family divided against each other. Words actually, that's kind of an echo of what we find in Micah chapter 7, also a passage about judgment. It's interesting in Micah 7, it appears as if there was kind of a contrast between the older generation and the younger generation. In this case, it's not a matter of age, but rather we are made, it's made very clear that members of the same family will be divided over the person of Jesus Christ without specifying who is for him or against him. Now, of course, we should not think that this is, again, something typically new for the New Testament times, as if in the Old Testament all Israel was truly Israel. You know it is not so. In the Old Testament times, the Lord had to say time and again that, that many were uncircumcised in heart. We think even of examples like of Jacob and Esau, a division running right down the family of Isaac. And already during our Lord's ministry, this division running through families became evident as well. Think of that man who had been born blind, was healed by the Lord Jesus Christ, and then the parents even got involved, and they were asked by the leaders, Now, was your son really born blind? Did Jesus really heal him? And, then, and the parents were afraid that they might become identified with Jesus, kicked out of the synagogue. So there came a division in that family. The parents became separated, in essence, from their son. We're not told specifically in the book of Acts, but we can only imagine that there would have come many broken relationships when some members of the family turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you believed in Him, if you were baptized, that indicated to the people of Israel, you're no longer a Jew. You are a traitor. It would lead to automatic excommunication from the synagogue. And you can imagine if you then, as an Israelite, as a Jew, followed Jesus. When you came home, they might say to you, get out of the house. We don't want you here anymore because we hear you follow Jesus. You broke your connection with your family and your community. Notice always the other side breaking the connection. They say, we don't want to talk to you anymore. They cast you out. But you also, of course, had that personal pain not only of having the broken family relationships, but also you would know that those who did not follow the Lord Jesus Christ, that the day would come when they would face the fire of judgment. And that this weighed heavy also on believers. We think here of an example of the Apostle Paul. You know, when he writes about the whole place of Israel and God's plan of salvation, Romans chapter 9-11, through 11, and, he, and he struggles with that, And then he even indicates, oh, if I could be kind of thrown out, if I could basically be rejected so that my people Israel would be saved. That's how much he grieved for his people Israel that they did not turn to the Lord. Of course, Paul couldn't do that. But you see an example of the pain in the heart of Paul that so many of his fellow countrymen rejected the Lord and therefore they would face the fire of judgment. Now, in this connection, we can also bring in what we read in Matthew 10, verse 34 to 39, which relates events in a somewhat different setting, but uses terms similar to our text. For there the Lord Jesus Christ said that He had not come to bring peace, but the sword, you see, to cast fire. And He had come to set son against father, daughter against mother, and then he followed through by saying, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Then he also spoke about being ready to take up one's cross. Here in the sense that if you would follow Christ while the rest of your family would not, that would bring suffering into your life, and you had to be ready for that. It needs suffering because we know that our family ties are precious. We love our own flesh and blood. And it is very hard to break those ties in order to follow Christ, when, when knowing that if you do that, then your family is going to say, well, if you want to follow Christ, then we don't really want to associate with you anymore. It might even begin to mock you and ridicule. Oh, you've become religious, eh? You see? the reality that can be experienced by people who turn to the gospel, the breaks that will come in their family life. But it's also an important point to keep in mind, especially as we are keen on emphasizing God's covenant and His work through the generations. Because we know that the pain... Of the vision in the family for following Christ is not limited to those who might be completely new to the faith, whose family doesn't serve the Lord at all. No, there will also be those situations where families grow up, covenant families, always sitting under the gospel of grace, and yet it turns out that certain family members are not interested at all in the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't love the Lord at all, they just want to go in the ways of the world. You see, God's covenant ways are no guarantee that there is no division in covenant families at certain points. As there were divisions in covenant families in the Old Testament times, we mentioned Isaac and Jacob, so there will be in the New Testament times, can and will be experienced time and again, two against three, three against two. And usually when that happens, then often those who walk away, they they break the ties and they know something isn't right. Division within the family, you see the person of Christ, flushes out what really lives in our heart. Do we love the Lord or do we don't love the Lord? Do we walk in His ways or not? And we know that those who walk in His ways will be saved, but those who do not will face everlasting condemnation. Now as we hear all this, should not make us fatalistic and cause deep sighs of resignation. No, rather what we have here is the full gospel. It focuses our attention on Jesus Christ, and it tells us that there is salvation for all who believe in him, but also condemnation for those who do not. gospel is truly good news, held out for everyone who hears it, but as we have seen, sad to say, many stumble over Christ and reject the good news, even those who have grown up in the covenant community, covenant of grace. And it's particularly painful when we see these kind of divisions happening so close to home. But in the end, this is not meant to let us, lead us to despair, but, but you could say to personal repentance if necessary, personal prayer, To call, and also to call others to repentance, so that in the end there will be no reason to fear him who will come to cast fire on the earth, but to look forward to his coming. Amen.